0: I want to open up our new series by talking about a group that formed in the 1990s called TLC. And I'm not referring to the R&B group with beats so smooth they melt your soul. I'm referring to the television network with programming so stupefying it melts your brain. Did you know what TLC stands for? Anybody know? The Learning Channel. In 1992, that was the vision of that network. It was going to be the learning channel. What they wanted to do when they started it, they said, we want to show everybody that learning is fun. They equate it with with sitting in a classroom, number two pencil, lecture going on. They want to make it visual. They want to make it fun. They want to show that learning is an exciting thing. They wanted to succeed at essentially what Wikipedia has done. uh, And then people find learning to be entertainment. So they wanted to create these rich things. Their headline program was this. Uh, this is a paleo world, so it's paleontology. They're going to be looking at dinosaurs, and they created all these interviews and graphics, and they were going to make this really cool experience. But apparently, a, boarding, a board meeting was held, and they decided to puff out this stuff a little bit. You can actually see the original logo said The Learning Channel right under TLC. Um, they added a few things. They added a few other things. The network just evolved over time to where this is their current lineup you got Sister Wives, you've got Smothered, uh, Temptation Island is in there, uh, Little People, Big World, basically, and uh, Dr. Pimple Popper. Um, basically, TLC has degraded into, if we're learning something, we're just learning what narcissists are up to these days, uh, and it, it, it's, its vision is gone. It's as gone as MTV is gone. It is not the learning channel anymore, it's the reality TV channel. And I, there's something interesting you might not know about reality TV. It's not reality at all. Everything in it is written. Their lines are given to them. There was once the company I was working at. They wanted to send. Uh, they, they were thinking, well, maybe we'll make a reality show about where I work. Not here. No one would watch this. Uh, but where we where we transport heavy stuff. So like we're going to be like ice road truckers. But it's going to be big, complicated moves. There's all this stuff you got to do. And when they came in to do their pilot recordings, they gave everybody their lines. And people at work were being asked a few questions, and they were being told, "Now say this. Now say this into the camera." Those shows are fake. It's a very stupefying network that's lost its 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 hope, the same way MTV is. The M stands for music, and they gave that up, and then they made MTV Two like MTV Two will be about music, and MTV won't be. They're both not about music at all. They're just networks now. What we find is that if you don't remember the vision, you don't remember the the, the core vision. Uh, things lose their purpose. TLC has no purpose now. It is whatever, whatever could get someone to watch, stream, uh, chat about it in a chat room, that's what they will put on. Have you ever uh, overplanned a vacation? Overloaded, had too much on the itinerary, and that stressed you out? And you have this awakening moment where you're like, this vacation was supposed to restore me, and now I feel like I'm at work checking things off my list. That's because your vacation lost its Vision, it's, it's purpose. And holidays, all of them, they're, they're meant to be time of remembrance, whether it's Veterans Day, Labor Day, Easter, but they get muddled. And it's hard to, to, to find that purpose. It's important to be reminded or it doesn't really have purpose anymore. Normally what happens when things lose their purpose, their purpose becomes just make money. The meaning of Christmas is to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. That's the purpose. It's a time set aside. It's true. It's, it's a guess as to when Jesus was born. The Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, and so the, the short version is, is that there was an old church, church legend that he died on the same day that the uh, Annunciation took place when Gabriel says... You, uh, marry. you're going to have a child. That, that same day, that, that that was the Passover day. It's, it's not in the Bible, but it was church legend. And so they took that, fast forwarded nine months, and that's December 25th. That's why we celebrate the day. It's the best guess, but Christians for generations have celebrated this time to be a time that we remember the incarnation of Christ. And yet it can be sewn together with so many things on our psyche, uh, weather, decorations, music, family events, things that we do. And none of that's wrong. I'm not saying don't throw out your Christmas tree. We're certainly not going to throw out ours. We set that up half a day yesterday. Um, they can be very meaningful. But if we really want the whole thing, what, what lights us up inside to make sense, to connect, to have purpose, and to continue on being what it's supposed to be, we have to remember its initial vision and its, what it was about. And so we're going to do something for the next four weeks. We're going to look at the four songs that happened in the Advent story. There's four times that, that, that there's a song in the story. And so we, what we're looking at is we want to look at when heaven and nature sing, when that praise comes out, what was the nature of the praise? What was it about the incarnation that made worship just burst out of these people? The, 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 each song is not a thing to where you get this idea that the choir met and they wrote it and they put it together and then they performed it. That would be a psalm. Psalms are probably written over a long amount of time. They're spontaneous. Something happened and just a connection with what this was burst out of them. So we're going to be looking at those songs. So that we could have, my hope would be is that we would all feel we have the most worshipful Christmas season yet. So as we set up for this song, I want to read... Uh, we're going to read from this part of the story, and what's, it's going to say in the sixth month, it's referring to the sixth month after Elizabeth was told that she will have a child, though she was very old, uh, and they will, he will be John the Baptist. So in the sixth month of that pregnancy is when this story begins. And the angel said to her, "Don't be afraid, Mary, for you will have, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and uh, shall call him, excuse me, shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him, or give to him, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, uh, and of his kingdom there will be no end." And Mary said to the angel, "Uh, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, uh, excuse me, the sixth month of her, and he was called, excuse me, I don't read this translation very often, and she, though she was called barren. Uh, For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is, uh, this is a really remarkable story because there are... Um, There are a few people that have been visited by angels, visited by heavenly visitors, even theophanies, and of that short list, Mary's goes just about one of the best. She has a way of uh, immediately uh, accepting and having this amazing point of dedication and trust, despite the fact that this is after what's considered the 400 silent years This is the longest period that Israel has gone with no prophetic message, no prophetic messenger. It was just the Torah and study, and it was a time when people, there was doubt and there was fear as to what God would do, but hope that he would do something. And now it comes to Mary, and she receives this amazing thing, and her response is incredible. We know historically something about Mary that sometimes isn't depicted well in art. She was 14 years old. That's the age you would be betrothed. So this is a young teenage girl with a depth of responsive faith to come back and be in the the echelon, people that responded well to angelic visitors, to accept what is said to her. And the nature of her selection is interesting. I found that this was... Of the things I studied this year, this is one of the most hotly contested, because this is where we differ with Catholics. And so... There's this, this push almost to say that, well, Mary was selected exclusively by grace. There's nothing really, there wasn't anything remarkable. It was just God just chose someone. And I think it's pushing back against a Catholic idea that she's about the most chosen human being second to Christ. But if we look at it, if we understand how Scripture talks about his selection of us, his selection of you, is that by his foreknowledge, he predestined you. God knew the quality of your heart, he knew what you were, he knew who you were going to be, and he set aside his calling for you. It's exactly the way it played out with David. David, the king, he's brought in with all of his brothers, and they're all inspected, they're bigger than him, they look bigger and better and courageous, they're older than him. But God chose David because of the quality of his heart and predestined him to become king. The selection of all saints is the same way. God knew the quality of your heart, knew who you were, and has predestined you for a purpose. And so it doesn't mean that he overrode your free will. By his foreknowledge of who you would be, he chose you. And I think there's something to understand that Mary is special. We can't just say that it's selected uh, only by grace. She is a very incredible young woman. When we read her story, she's got incredible faith. She has a way of believing in Jesus and having faith in him, even in the worst moments when other people turned against him. I have a, if God told me that my daughter was the daughter of God, I would have a hard time believing it. There'd be times that I would wonder. And not just because like, they, they clearly aren't with their behavior, but it'd be hard to believe that, but her faith is so strong and her connection with it was deep. You know, the, uh, the law was given to uh, Israel that they could grow from being a, a group of illiterate slaves with no code, no ethics, to being a nation prepared and ready to receive the Savior when he comes. In many ways, Mary is kind of like the second Eve, and I think this, this painting here uh, depicts it really well. You've probably seen this. It's very beautiful, but it's a picture of just the fulfillment of God's promises, that from the woman would come one who would stomp on the head of the snake. And there's this depth the painter had with the idea of Christ in me, the hope of glory. So Christ said Mary, and you can see that she's stepping on the snake. And so there's this connection with how Christ raises us up and even the the details of being dressed in robes. It's it's a very deep painting, but she is a specially called person. Maybe not the greatest uh person second to Christ ever, but she's an exceptional person and her faith runs deep. And I think it's important that when we read about Mary, especially understand how young she was for the depth of wisdom and connection that she had is remarkable. Now, she goes somewhere uh, that's important, says that that, uh, in those days, Mary arose and went Uh, with haste to the hill country, to the town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. These greetings were loud. You actually hear these in the Middle East. They still do them as those like like loud greetings. It's how they would have greeted as ancient doorbells. So she comes in, she makes this loud greeting, and it was. I imagine it was startling, but it was more than that. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting uh, of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, which is ancient Bible talk, for this is prophetic, saying in a loud cry, "Blessed are you woman, or blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." And why this uh, uh, excuse me, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed uh, that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary does something I think that's really smart. It's worth understanding, is that when God spoke to her, she immediately went to the other person she knew had a similar experience. Gabriel, uh, and Gabriel's interesting. He's an archangel in the Old Testament. He shows up at a few books. He's always related to prophecies about the Messiah, and so it was very befitting that he would be the messenger that comes. So the archangel Gabriel comes, and one of the thing, details he gives her is that your aunt Elizabeth is also miraculously pregnant uh, and has had a visitation of her own. And so Mary goes It wants to be with Elizabeth. And I think it's something important to understand that when God touches our lives, uh, the world is very quick to erode that. It's very quick to break it down, to varnish it, to sun bleach it, to run it out, to make it feel less and less deep. And the greatest way to protect it is to go to other people who are going along the same path as you, that have the same experiences, and to share that with them. The power of what happens when our internal spiritual experiences happen and we speak them to people and we share them is profound. I've had um, just a, a lot of stirring from God. It's not, it's not related to the message today, but I just real briefly, I felt a lot of stirring from God lately to slow down, to be with Him, and to, to really dramatically reform what my life looks like in, in terms of total practices. And I've, this has been going on for a long time. Haven't said a word to Elena at all. I don't know why I didn't. And last night she's like, "You, know, you seem intense. Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine." And then I said, "Actually, I don't know why I said that." I feel like I am almost spiritually exhausted from all of the, the pressure of where I feel, and I just had this big, long conversation, and it felt like, the, and honestly, that has been a huge part of it coming more alive. If God's speaking to you about something, you haven't told anybody about it, you haven't told another believer who's going the same way who could encourage you, that's a lonely faith, and I'll tell you right now, that's the kind of Christian experience the kingdom of darkness wants us to have. If we get to a point where as God moves, there's barriers and things that get between us, we don't share, we don't talk about it, it won't be the power when all those things come together. On December 24th, we're going to do our candlelight service in here. And one candle isn't very bright, but when they're all lit together in this room, it is incredibly bright. It's important that as God lights things in our lives, that we share them. And I think that was a great thing of wisdom for Mary to go to the one person who also knew. We guard this thing when we have an authentic relationship with other believers. Things that God's doing in your life, speak them now to other believers. Let them be part of it, and it will guard those things. That's why it's so important to have those deep relationships. And as we celebrate, what we find is it strengthens our relationship. It strengthens those things and moves them to the next level. Because you'll notice that Mary has had a visitation from an angel. It would have taken days to travel where she went from, from Galilee to Judah was a far trip. She has all that time, but it's when she finally has a, a linear relationship, human relationship about what happened, worship at that point ruptures out of her life. There is a dimension of praise we can't have on our own. There's an experience of God that we just cannot get when we do it by ourselves. Mary's song, we're going to read in a minute, it prophesies cosmic-level, eschatological end-times implications of the child in her womb. This is Isaiah-level prophecy, Jeremiah-level prophecy, and it didn't happen immediately after seeing Gabriel, an angel of light, an archangel from the Old Testament, a name she would have recognized. It happens when she shares this experience and someone else praises with her and then builds up her faith. I think one of the things that's most important that we gather from this is it says that at once Mary gathered up and went. She gathered and went. And I think it's important for us to gather and go. Gather your experiences, gather your thoughts, gather your words, and go be with others. And a new dimension of the Spirit opens up. And for Mary, let's read her dimension. We'll read a little bit of the song, stop, and then we'll read the rest. Uh, and Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he is mighty and has done great things for me and holy is his name this song is inspired by God but what I find amazing is it unravels more and more as she goes on it is so much built from a deep life of study and understanding. There are over 15 Old Testament references and allusions in these few lines. And what's amazing about them, here's, here's just, a quick, just a quick breakdown of what you find if you look into That's a few of them for allusions. You could snap a photo of that if you'd like, and it would be worth it for this purpose. Every single one of them in context illuminates what she's seeing about far more. It gives us a much deeper idea, passages and context that talk about God's faithfulness in the face of human frailty, allusions to Hannah's miraculous conception of the prophet Samuel and the destiny that he had. There's this depth of what she's feeling that comes from the core of her grip with Old Testament scripture. Honestly, this song and those references could easily be a Christmas series. They are so much and there's so much depth to them that she's not piercing together Uh, some sort of Old Testament word association taking passages out of context. She is putting together incredible themes and weaving them together as to how they point to Christ. It's a masterpiece song unto itself, and she was only 14 years old. The song is going to recognize largely what it does, what all all of us recognize at some point with God. And she says it so well where she says, He's looked on my humble estate and has lifted me up. You you got to realize that if God uses us to do something, he's going to get a lot of credit for that. He's going to get a lot for it because as much as we say, I'm too weak, I'm too small, I'm too insignificant, those are exactly the ones that God likes to raise up because when they do something great, people talk about the truth, people talk about what God did and not what the person did. You could raise up a mighty man to deliver a city in a time of war, but if you raise up someone who's weak, someone who's afraid, someone like Gideon and it becomes a miraculous thing. There's a deep connection she has with uh, the Old Testament's connections with her and she realizes that she's being lifted up. She is blessed. And that's the point. It isn't that she's gifted, she doesn't say for all generations they will call me gifted, for all generations they will call me perfect or holy. She's blessed, someone else has blessed her, someone else has given her honor. It's something we all need to remember. That the Messiah was born to someone of no nobility and no wealth. We're talking about a 14 year old girl who lives in a country that's been conquered, that is actively being governed by a foreign empire. She has very little uh, money, she wouldn't have much to her name. The world looks for kings and palaces, yet the king is born in a slum and is born in the arms of a lowly mother. Living in Galilee was not a place that the wealthy Jews lived. It's where you went to because you couldn't afford to live near Jerusalem. In fact, we know that they looked down on them. There's a point in Jesus' trial when Peter says he didn't know Jesus, and they said, but you've got the accent. You sound like a Galilean. Apparently, he had some sort of Galilean draw, and they could all hear it because they looked down on them. God does lift up the hum- the humble. She doesn't forget her humility. She doesn't say people call her great. They'll call her blessed because God's the one that gave her the, the honor. There's something I think is important before we read the rest of it. At this point, she's given praise for what God's done to her. Now she's about to say some incredibly heavy uh, prophetic utterances about the boy in her womb. And I think it's important to understand because it will empower a lot of songs for us in scripture. There's a way that Jews, and it comes, she's, this song sounds exactly like a psalm. This is one of the most Old Testament things I've read in the new. It's, it's original, but it sounds incredibly Old Testament. Its structures are very Hebrew. And something you have to understand is that they would often talk about prophecies in the future and the past tense. You'll read these things where, where a psalmist will say things like, the Lord has, has defeated my enemies, he's set me on eye, he's vanquished all trouble. And you kind of get this idea of like, is Christian faith just a thing about hyping myself up? Saying God did things and being like, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, but it really didn't. I mean, in a minute, Mary is going to be talking about the Lord has thrown down uh, those in power. He's lifted up the humble. Is that true when Caesar Augustus is on the throne? Caesar was in charge at this time, Of Caesar Augustus, the second one who really consolidated as an emperor, he's, he's on the throne. Did that happen yet? And we can find ourselves perplexed, but it, it becomes a far more understanding that they are talking about things God will literally do, but they speak it in the past tense in a way of agreeing with it as if this is what I'll say someday. If you were to pray and say, God, I would hope that in the end of my life that you've blessed me and I have no regrets, you would say, Lord, at the end of my life, how blessed I am by you. You gave me no regrets. You'd speak about it in the past tense as a way of amplifying your faith and accepting and saying this will happen. There is nothing about our faith that is about hype or about building things up or pretending things are happening that are not. But there is a lot of it that's about things that will happen in the future that have not happened yet. When God does turn this world upside down. There will come a time when that happens and it gets so certain and it's so promised and it's so secure that we might as well refer to it in the past tense. And that gives you the idea of both this passage and much of the Psalms. So we're going to continue to read her part here. And his mercy is for those uh, who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble in his state. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has uh, sent away empty. He helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. uh, And as he spoke to our forefathers, Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Jesus is the one who is gonna do great things and he will surely do them. These levels of prophecy, they are about things that, that, are, that we're still waiting on. In 2023, still waiting on when the king comes down and sets this world right, still waiting on those things to happen. But Jesus did begin in her day. He did lift up the, the, the powerless in her. She is a powerless person who's been given an incredible honor. Jesus, when he chooses the one who will utter the call to the church. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, that is the moment when the covenant is made open, when people can be uh, saved and come to Christ. It's the beginning and inauguration of the church. And the person who made the speech, the person who gave the sermon, who called people to salvation, wasn't a priest, it wasn't a teacher of the law, it wasn't a Pharisee, it wasn't a specialist, it was a Galilean fisherman. It was Peter. Christ is one who has done these things, and as they fulfill, they're rolling out and still coming. The truth is, is that Jesus is only beginning in this world. The great reordering, the liberation, the things to come that Mary has was shown by the Holy Spirit, these things are coming. And what I find amazing about this song is that it, the, the point of it isn't about Mary. It's not just about her experience. The point of it is Jesus. And that loops back to the opening line. This song actually has a traditional name. The church has given this name, the Magnificent, the Magnificate, if you were going to say it in Latin. It is the name of this song that goes back generations and generations. In fact, each of the Christmas songs has a name. It's called the Magnificent because of the the opening line, my soul magnifies God. Mary's worship and the present moment of incarnation is about magnifying god above all else despite the fact that she was just told something about her life that is enormous it to magnify god above all else and so is the way that we atta- that we would go about wanting to bring about the meaning of the season The meaning of Christmas is to magnify God above all else. If you want to be present in the moment, magnify God above everything else. Magnify uh, and make him larger. Bring him into focus, raised, raised above the rest, to set aside the things that you want, to die to yourself and the things that you would want for this season even, to magnify God and to let him be raised up in your mind. that Jesus would be the focus of this season for us, that he would be magnified, made bigger. You know, so often we say things that, we say the phrase, uh, when Jesus came into my life, and I think it actually might be more theologically accurate to say when I came into Jesus's life. We became part of a really big story when we said yes. We became part of a big story that's way bigger than us, way bigger than anything we will do. I would imagine Mary wanted a lot of other things for her life than this. Her prayers probably consisted of wanting to have a tranquil life of peace and protection, the provisions that she would need, and a happy home. But when she's made part of his story, of what he is up to, it's far greater honor and exalts her way higher than anything she could have ever dreamed of. To find joy, hope, and wonder in this season, Christ must be magnified and we must become smaller. It's a thing that everybody fights in the Christmas season to, to, look for, to look into the needs of others and to look to see what the Lord has. And it was a thing that for Mary, what can make praise burst out of you when you realize Christ is coming, when you realize everything that's, that is implied in that, of a God that will come and be with you, his salvation, his, his liberation, his leading of us. If you really wanna connect with it, he has to be magnified over all. Your perfect plans for Christmas season won't make you happy. But if we embrace our place in history, our place in the story of the kingdom of heaven, we might just find that it is magnificent and that our soul will burst into glory. It will come out as we want to glorify and magnify his name. This Christmas season, whatever it looks like for you, however that would happen, each one of us, extroverts, introverts, we go about it a different way. Find time to magnify God in this season, that that would be your focus. Find time to change that growth pattern to where you can find ways of making yourself smaller and God greater. Pray more, pray deeply. Think of these things often and let it be a season of Christ above all else. I wanna pray for us that we would uh, begin this season letting Mary's song encourage us to be magnifiers ones that seek him. Lord, today, I thank you that uh, that there was examples before us. As much as we can learn from the bad ones, it sure is exhilarating to learn from the good ones. Lord, we thank you that uh, the one that you had chosen was someone that was chosen for the quality of who they were, but was able to do it by the power of who you were. That you were a great, Lord, that we can remember that just as she was humble and small, just as Mary wasn't uh, mighty to do those things, so are we. God, I pray that there just that we would feel the same, just enraptured joy of the of your presence, the shock that you would choose to do this, uh, this kingdom mission with us, that you would call us to be part of it. Lord, I pray that your presence would be with us this season, that we would be those who could magnify you, that you would become the center of things, that we would find ways that you would become bigger and everything else would become less. God, if we've had materialism riding in our hearts and rising up, Lord, I pray that you would put it down and that you would raise up higher. Lord, if we've been distracted with plans or stresses or anxieties of being with family, I pray that we would find ways of putting those things down and lifting you up higher, that we would also magnify you. That we would experience the magnificent in this season we thank you lord amen